Hi, it's Kate Brownfield from ADHDKidsCanThrive.com. My guest today is Dr. Sharon Celine, clinical psychologist and author of the award-winning book, What Your ADHD Child Wishes You Knew, Working Together to Empower Kids for Success in School and Life, and the ADHD Solution Card Deck, which specializes in working with kids, young adults, and families living with ADHD, learning disabilities, and mental health issues. She has decades of experience as a clinical psychologist and educator. She lectures and facilitates workshops internationally on topics such as understanding ADHD, executive functioning, anxiety, different kinds of learners, and the teen brain. Please enjoy our conversation today as we are going to cover a lot of information about ADHD in children, teens, and young adults. Hi, Dr. Celine. Thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, I am too, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so let's start with just you sharing your expertise with us about just what really is ADHD. So, of course, you ask, you know, 10 people what ADHD is, and you're going to get 10 different answers. But this is what I operate on. I believe that ADHD is a, and I think, and I think science supports it, is a, is a chronic biological condition that is marked by persistent inattention, hyperactivity, and sometimes impulsivity that is more frequent and severe than is typically observed in children, teens, or adults of the same age. And it's really a novelty-seeking brain, interest fosters motivation, and these are creative, outside-the-box thinkers. And the ADHD is actually a performance-based disorder or condition, I prefer the word condition, which is based on executive functioning skill deficits. And it matures about three years behind the neurotypical brain. And what that has to do is just the connectivity from the prefrontal cortex to the rest of the brain. Because in our prefrontal cortex, which is right behind your your right behind your foreheads for those of you who are listening, that's that's the part of the brain that really you know, has to do with organization and planning and prioritizing and goal-directed persistence and things like that. Of course, people with ADHD have some other biologically-based challenges, lower amounts of dopamine or norepinephrine. And some research has shown that some of the structures of the brain can be smaller, particularly the corpus callosum, which is like the superhighway of the brain that runs between the left and right hemispheres and has to do with sequencing and the integration of details. That's been found to be a little bit smaller. And this part, some parts that are of the brain that are they are connected to memory and um, sort of emotional management, those have been found to be a little bit smaller. We know that ADHD affects about 10% of students in the United States between the ages of five and 18. And six, some, something like 64% of kids between those ages have received an ADHD diagnosis at some time. About five to 10% of kids outgrow it. And in order to get a diagnosis, you have to have six out of nine symptoms in two areas of functioning. So usually that's school and home for at least six months or more. And I think that's important. It's not sort of a, it's not a, a diagnosis that we, we should be giving 
flippantly. It's something that requires actually an interview. And sometimes people like to use psychoeducational evaluations that can be helpful as well. One thing that is important, I think, to know is that about 57%, 55% of adults with ADHD have one child with ADHD. And if one child has it, there's a 33% chance of another child having it. And these are parents who report more persistent stress than a significant number, significantly more stress than parents who are raising kids who don't have ADHD. Yeah. And you said that number. What is that number? It's like significant. It's significant. It was something like, you know, like 70 to 80% or something like that. Of parents who are raising ADHD children carry more stress than like a normal. Yeah. I think there was a study by David. I I think there was a study by David Rabiner that said something like 83%. Yeah. So it's no joke. (laughs) It's, It's no joke. And I think that a lot of times there are a lot of people in in this country who basically believe everybody has a little bit of ADHD. And that's just not true because what is true is that we all have executive functioning skills, strengths, and challenges, all of us, whether you have ADHD or not. It's just that people with ADHD have more severe challenges and in certain of those skills. And sometimes there are more challenges than there would be for someone who doesn't have ADHD. So it's a question of severity and of course, a frequency like numbers. What do you mean by the number, the number of? Like, for example, you may not have ADHD, but you may struggle with time management or you might have ADHD, but struggle with time management and emotional control and shifting and prioritize shifting and flexibility and planning and prioritizing so you can see that there's just sort of there's a, there are more challenges in terms of how the exe- the executive functions are are rolling out their jobs than we see in people who don't have ADHD but it doesn't mean that if you don't have ADHD you don't have executive functioning challenges because everybody has some And if you have learning disabilities too, you can struggle with executive functioning, but not have ADHD, right? If you have learning disabilities, if you're on the autism spectrum, if you're twice exceptional, all of those, all those sort of conditions mean that you can have executive functioning challenges as well as, as well as having those, you know, those diagnoses. So you don't necessarily have to have ADHD to have some of those challenges, but the more severe and the more the the executive functioning challenges are, the higher the likelihood there is of a learning disability. And everybody with, with ADHD has pretty serious executive functioning challenges in some areas, and yet not in all of them. Like, it's always surprising to me how people with ADHD arrive on time or even early for their appointments with me and they're sitting in my office and I'm like struggling with time management, you know, day after day, (laughs) (laughs) which is how part of how mine shows up. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's get into like, this is what makes ADHD the complexities of it. Yes. The nuances of ADHD that make it feel complex, which is why we're here to just kind of make the point that it should be taken seriously. And these are different ways that it shows up that can seriously affect a child and the family. 
Absolutely. I think, you know, Dr. Thomas Brown, who's, you know, world-renowned researcher and author on ADHD, talks about how living with the inconsistency of motivation with ADHD is the biggest challenge and one of the most confusing aspects of living with ADHD for kids and for adults. Everybody's sort of struggling with that inconsistency and motivation because there's motivation for things that you love to do. Remember, interest fosters motivation. And yet there are so many things in our lives that are have-dos that we're not that interested in. Right. But we have to do them anyway. And so I think this this the interaction between the have to's and the want to's is very it's 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 a little perplexing. It is perplexing for people with ADHD. I also believe that living with consistent inconsistency in this area results in living with more anxiety, which affects the whole family system as well as the individual. Yeah. And I think when the kids are in school too, that plays a big part into the family dynamics and with the school dynamics, because school doesn't allow anyone to be inconsistent. There's no give in being right. And you spend a time doing a lot of things you don't like to do until you can go to, until you graduate high school, in which case you may choose to go to college. You may not. You may pick a major that is something that you love to do. And so once you get your requirements out of the way, you can spend the rest of your college experience only <laughs> taking courses that you love. We, I want to s- sort of circle back to something because I said something about living with more anxiety. 34% of kids with ADHD having, have a coexisting di- diagnosis of anxiety. That's much higher than 9% in the general population significantly higher. And so we want to understand that these kids are struggling. They're struggling to manage the whatever the sensory sensitivities are or the, you know, loop in their brain that picks up things that that worry them and transform them into anxiety in nanoseconds, adding in cortisol, feeling like you're threatened by a tiger when you get an email from your teacher that your paper that you thought was due next week is actually due on Friday and you have two days to complete it, these kinds of things. And so we have seen a rise, of course, in social anxiety since the pandemic, about a third of kids with ADHD. So Again, that 34% have social anxiety and struggle with that. And, and did that increase since COVID? We have we haven't had research that indicates the, the 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 number. I can't give you the number of how social anxiety has increased, but it's increased in the general population. So I can assume it's higher in the population for kids with ADHD, where it was already higher than it was in the general population. I think the general population was something like. 12% of kids, you know, more girls than boys. And then here it's at 30, you know, one third for kids with ADHD. Yeah. So it, it's intense. And, you know, untreated anxiety can lead to depression, which, uh, you know, and, and all of these, you know, depression and oppositional defiant disorder at 40% dri- drives along in the car with ADHD at like 40% of the time. Sensory integration issues, you know, or eating disorders are three times likelier for girls with ADHD. You know, all of these things make 
living with ADHD and parenting kids with ADHD just so much more complicated. Yeah, it's challenging. Okay, and then talk to me a little bit about the complexity of raising an ADHD child as they get older and kind of in that arcing into teenager, young adult time Mm -hmm. period. Well, I think, you know, because girls tend to be identified later than boys, particularly if the girls are very bright, and this is true for boys as well, that their intellectual capabilities can compensate for their executive functioning challenges for a long time until the stress on those challenges, you know, outweighs their intellectual capabilities. I have a neurodivergent child and they got to college and I see this so often where kids like can you know they can become depressed because they feel overwhelmed a lot one of my clients says i can do college and i can do life but i can't do life and college together <laughs> I, you know i need to live at home to do that and so we want to remember that these are our kids who can easily get overwhelmed and then when they're overwhelmed we see acting out behaviors we could see withdrawal and isolation we can see you know dropping grades and, you know, intense frustration, which is often directed at parents. You know, kids are very good. You know, families are all about sort of this import-export business, you know, where our kids will export their emotions onto their parents who then import them and think they need to fix them and, you know, and then feel terrible and guilty that things are hard for their kids. And then their kids are like, oh, I feel so much better. I'm not carrying this around anymore. (laughs) So, you know, meanwhile, mom and dad are like on the floor, <laughs> on the floor, right? wiped out, right? Wiped out. And when it pick, as <laughs> I say to my friends, can you please like help peel me off the ceiling? Right. So, you know, we want to really remember that, you know, parenting kids who are neurodivergent, particularly if you're neurodivergent yourself is, is very challenging because, you know, you feel pressure to teach your kids to do things that you may self-struggle with. You may not understand how to teach your kids how to do things that you yourself struggle with. You may feel ashamed of some of the ways in which your kids are the same. And you can, you know, sort of bounce, you know, kind of clash with each other. You're sort of up against each other's issues. Yeah. Okay. So Sharon, help us understand kind of the you take an integrative approach to helping kids with ADHD. Can you give us your guidance and insight on parent to parents about how to approach right. their kids? Well, first of all, I don't want your parents to like turn off the podcast and be so discouraged. Like, Oh, Dr. Sharon, all you've done is talk about this problem and that problem. Here's the thing I want you to remember. Your kids love you. And your kids look up to you. You are what's called a charismatic adult in the growth mindset language. You know, it's not Beyonce or LeBron James or, you know, I don't even know who else. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Thank you. (laughs) It's actually people who believe in them and support them. And often that's what a parent is. So our goal is to you know, teach executive functioning and social emotional skills while fostering self-confidence 
and the tools that they need to engage in and master the basic tasks of daily living. So when I wrote my book, What Your ADHD Child Wishes You Knew, I interviewed dozens of kids and some of their parents and used my own clients. And what I found were themes, you know, themes. What do kids want really from their parents? They want their parents to regulate themselves. So manage your emotions first, because I, child with ADHD, struggle to hold it together on a good day. And when you're dysregulated, you've basically thrown all kinds of kindling onto the (laughs) fire that's building in me. So that's the first C, self-control. The second thing is I, I need empathy. I need you to remember what it's like for me to ask me questions about that or just to love me as I am. And that's the second C, compassion. We're going to meet our kids where we are. So the first C is we're going to manage our own feelings first so we can act effectively and teach our kids to do the same. The second is compassion. We're going to meet our kids where they are, not where we think they should be based on their age, their size, their you know IQ profile, what cousin Billy does, none of those things, where they are. And then we're going to practice compassion for ourselves. We're going to remember that like our kids, we're doing the best we can with the tools that we have available to us in a given moment. And sometimes we have more tools than others. The third thing that they want is inclusion. These are kids who spend a lot of time being told what they should do and how they should do it in ways that may not make sense to their brain, right? So they want to be included in plans that have to do with them. We don't give them, you know, 100% of the reins, but we listen to what makes sense. For example, you know, I worked with a girl and, you know, her mother was a professional organizer and she, they were always arguing. She was 10. They were always arguing about how many clothes were on the floor every morning. So, you know, I talked to my client, I, I was alone, I met alone with the girl, I'll call her Andy and Andy and I met alone. And, you know, I said, well, what do you think is going on? She's like, look, Dr. Sharon, you know, like my feelings are colors. And if I wake up and I'm feeling purple, then I need to find my purple clothes and my purple clothes are not all together. So I have to look through all my drawers to find purple things and then decide which of the, what I want to wear. Wow. So I said, well, what do you think the solution would be? She's like, put all my purple clothes together. Such a good idea. So we came back together in our family session and the mom did not have ADHD. The father did. And I said, you know, what do you think? I talked to Andy and she has this great idea and Andy shared her idea. And I said, what do you think? And the dad smiled and he was like nodding his head. And the mom's like, no, nobody does that. That's not how you organize things. It's shirts and pants and dresses. It's like a month of therapy to do what I call a two-week experiment. Like, we're just going to try it and see what happens. And, you know, after the first week, Andy comes skipping into my office, all smiling. Dad's giving me like the thumbs up. And mom looks at me and she's like, okay, okay, 75% improvement. (laughs) Like, okay, that's what collaboration is. It's fantastic. And so the other thing that these kids want is predictability. They have a lot of uncertainty that they live with because they can't control 
impulses or their or what I call the drift, you know, when they sort of drift off in their inattentive way um, to the Bahamas or what's for lunch or whatever. And then they come back and the teacher calls their name and they don't know where they are or what they're supposed to do. And they're so embarrassed. So they need as much predictability as possible. And I call that consistency, not perfection, steadiness. So we as parents want to have a whiteboard in the kitchen with what happens each for um, each day for the next two weeks or a list of what you do before you leave the house and what you do after. And they can even be pictures if kids don't read so that instead of you being a reminding machine, you're like, Hey, check the list, right? Remembering with consistency also that our kids struggle a lot with working memory and slower processing speed. So if you say, I want you to go to the bathroom, get your backpack and meet me at the door. This may be a child who goes to the bathroom and never leaves the bathroom. Because <laughs> You know, I was washing my hands and there were all of these bubbles with the soap. It's so cool. And meanwhile, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be late for my nine o'clock meeting. So you know, we want to have some predictability. It's comforting to them. I go to school, I come home, I have snack, I do my homework, then I earn my fun screen time, period. And the last thing is recognition. So they want to be seen not just for their successes, but for their efforts, the efforting that they do, because it's a full body experience. It's not just trying when you have, but when you're neurodivergent, you have ADHD. It's like your mind your body and your emotions all come together in an effort to do something that is hard for you to do that is boring. It's not an easy toss off. So this is celebration. And this is about validation and encouragement. Dr. Barbara Fredrickson and her colleagues at the University of Pennsylvania have said that the ideal positivity ratio is three to one. Dr. John Gottman in his work with couples has said it should be five to one. So, you know, pick whichever ratio it is and I can guarantee that your kids are not living in that ratio because most parents of kids with ADHD say the ratio is somewhere between one to 10 or 30 and kids will say sometimes even more if they include what they say to themselves. So we really want to acknowledge hey, you know, thanks for clearing the table the second time I asked you. Way to go. High five. Or, hey, let's turn some music on and clean up the kitchen together. You pick whatever Taylor Swift song you're in the mood for. So that's really the five C's. And that's also the keys that I want your our listeners to take away, that it's self-control, the oxygen mask on you first, then on your kid. And if this means you need to go to the bathroom and wash your hands in those that bubbly soap, do that and talk to yourself to bring yourself down or get a drink of water. Or in my book, I talk about the stop, think, act, recover approach. Use, use compassion, use collaboration. Remember basic consistency with exceptions. And when there's exceptions, let your kids know this is an exception and celebrate what's going well. Great advice. It's that simple. And I think sometimes we just get caught up that it needs to be more than that, or it's not making sense. But I think if you, she's, you're sharing wise words that I think as parents, if we just come back to that center, it really can make a big difference. It really can. And I think that that is one of the most challenging parts, right? How to sort of stay on your center 
when your kids are programmed to push the red button on your chest to set you off. That's the challenge. It is. And I, I think it's more challenging as your kids age, because once your kids are older teens and they have graduated high school and they're figuring out what it means to be an adult in the world, our influence is complicated because sometimes they want it and sometimes they don't. Right. And they're trying to figure out who they are, right? Right. As a person and they're going through everything a typical child is as well. I agree, but it gets a little bit more challenging. I would say too, I found if they don't want to kind of find that funnel of school after they've graduated from high school, or even if they do want to do that, there's just so many choices once you graduate from high school Mm -hmm. that it's hard to find the structure of independence when the world seems so open, right? Because as an adult, you get to independently start making choices on your own path. And it's just can be very overwhelming to an ADHD person to figure out that structure that they want to kind of, that they're now empowered to put into their lives. And creating structure is one of the hardest things for emerging adults with ADHD. It's hard for kids and teens, emerging adults, and for a lot of adults, because a lot of people think they can do more in a given amount of time or space than they actually can do, or they where they overestimate the size of the task and they underestimate their skills. And so they're afraid to try. And then there's this, you know, very real experience of overwhelm. It's like going to, you know, the, uh, you know, a massive buffet and, you know, there were three huge tables heaped with food. You're like, well, where do I start? And I'm obviously not going to be able to eat everything. And how do I decide? And that that issue is what's so very hard for many, you know, teens and emerging adults. Like, how do I decide? What do I choose? It's a challenge. And they need their parents' support through Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, the thing is, what I've learned, and I have to say, Kate, I've learned this hard way, is, you know, really what our kids want is for us to open our arms and zip our mouths you know, that it, they really want us to be a sounding board, which is why reflective listening is so helpful. I statements are helpful. And we want to ask, are, would you like me to respond with support or would you like some advice so that we're clear about what our job is? Because we will naturally want to give advice and they will probably naturally not want it. I think that's really the evolution it, of parenting. That's great advice really, because it is that tricky too. Like, cause they do want to be independent and they want to find their way and, but they're not. Yeah. Right. That's why we really want to foster connected independence, which is what we used to call interdependence. So you're, you're making your own decisions about X, Y, and Z, and you're on your own for that. And you also are still on my health insurance, or, you know, you're on my car insurance, or you might live at home because you can't do school in life. And, you know, it's just enough to go to community college, or you're experimenting with what you want to do, and you need some space for that. And that's all perfectly normal for neurodivergent, older teens and emerging adults. That's typical. 
And I think a lot of people think it's not typical and their kids are behind. And then the kids are already thinking about that about themselves. So it lowers self-esteem for the kids, but also for the parents. Like, what did I do wrong? My kid is still here. Okay, Dr. Sharon, as we wrap up, what would be your, you've said so much already, but in summary, what would be your words of wisdom to parents who are raising ADHD kids? What would have to probably be my favorite quote by Maya Angelou, which which says, forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it. We are learning as parents. We are living and learning and we make mistakes. And we can be accountable for those mistakes and we can attempt to change our behaviors, but we are just as human as the next person. And so we want to model that uh, life is about living and learning, not about perfection. Beautiful. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you and sharing some of my ideas about um, living uh, in a family with ADHD.